Episode 5. Enter Autism with Cat and Trash Panda. In this episode, Trash Panda and Cat discuss what autism is, as well as their individual relation to the diagnosis. Trash Panda, who was recently diagnosed, discuss the impact of his self-understanding, and Cat touch on the similarities between schizophrenia and ASD. There are no specific warnings for this episode. This is happening to you. Now. Here. Welcome to the Petting Zoo. Hello everyone, welcome to the Petting Zoo. I'm Petting Zoo's Trash Panda, and with me is our very own zookeeper, Cat. Hello, Cat. Hello. Welcome to the Petting Zoo. Tonight, we are going to talk about everybody's favorite subject, autism. Da, 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 da. But da, before, da. <laughs> before that, I would like to give a quick shout out to our fans and followers. We had a completely unexpected uh, amount of listens to the podcast already, and... Approximately 80 people as of now have followed us on Tumblr. And I just wanted to say to all of you guys, thank you so much. Your support means the world to us. Thank you for the asks. We are collecting them. And we have actually compiled a list of upcoming episodes where we are going to address all of your questions. So if you have further questions to us, if you have subjects in mind you would like us to talk about, please send in your asks on Tumblr, and we are going to make sure that everything gets addressed with the right crowd. So that being said, Kat, our resident psychologist, is with us, and he's going to introduce us to what is Autism Spectrum Disorder. Well, um, first off the bat, I would like to say I'm not diagnosed with autism. So this is purely like from a point of view of someone who has a lot of family and friends who are autistic and someone who's been made <laughs> to read diagnostic criteria and have some idea about like what autism is through my uh, studies. Um, basically, autism is a developmental disorder. Uh, that means it needs to be present since childhood to be diagnosed. In the most recent diagnostic system, which is the DSM-5, which is used in America, um, the autism, the different autism diagnoses have sort of been collapsed into one, which is called the Autism uh, Spectrum Diagnosis, uh, ASD. And we're sort of going to be operating with that tonight, because it is the most recent. And it seems that in the next ICD, they will also do a similar thing. Um, but yeah. Autism is a diagnosis that has kind of three pillars and a bunch of associated features. So uh, the core features are sort of the social difficulties. Um, these are like difficulties reading other people and putting yourself in their shoes and sort of understanding social cues and knowing how to behave in, in certain situations and such. Uh, a lot of autistic people also sort of associated to this have trouble with eye contact. Some people because they don't like know when it's okay to look and when it's not okay to look and for some people it's actually like really uh uncomfortable um and the other one of the other pillars is sort of the restricted repetitive behaviors as the dsm-5 
uh, calls them, and those are more commonly known as um, basically what a lot of people call stimming and special interests. So stimming is a type of fidgeting. It's basically a way to um, release tension or get some sensory input that you need or something like that. It could include like squeezing something, tapping a foot, rocking back and forth and these types of things. And special interests, those are like interests that the person with autism kind of completely zoom in on and invest a lot of the energy in. And even many autistic people who don't otherwise talk a lot can talk for days about the special interests. So that's something that if you have a lot of autistic people in your life, then you really notice this. For example, Moose um, is autistic and he's a, a robot engineer in a sense. And he just loves talking about like <laughs> all the little uh, nerdy things that he finds interesting about that. Yeah, I, I usually describe Moose. He's like a dog with a bone. Once he latches onto a subject, he keeps talking about that subject. And sometimes just if there is no new input to be given, he will just say the same thing to you over and over and over and over and over and over again ad nauseum, which... On the surface sounds really annoying and sometimes yes it does get tiresome because if your interest does not match his he will still share regardless whether or not you are interested in what he has to say but on the other hand one thing I always point out about special interests and uh, autistic people sharing these special interests is these these things they are the current centerpiece of their universe like the autistic person zones in on something and every single waking thought and sometimes even dreams are about that one subject and if they if they feel comfortable enough with you to actually share their passion with you that means that you are important enough for them that Basically, they want to give you the excitement they feel about this thing. And that's a beautiful thing. It's It might be a little bit of a misguided attempt. Like, it, it's never coming from a place of malice. It's never coming from a place of selfishness, where they just want to talk about their thing. It's just this, for them, is the most interesting thing in the universe at the moment. And they want to share their joy with you. Yeah, and I honestly think, like, I'm sort of simple in the way that since I don't care about many things at all, <laughs> if someone else cares about something, then I care on their behalf. So if someone tells me something that matters a lot to them, then it will matter to me. And, yeah. This sounds cruel, but actually it works out for us great. Sometimes we agreed that I don't have the capacity to listen. So if he just wants to share, he's welcome to talk at me, but I will not process everything he says. So if he actually wants to relay an important piece of information, he will just kind of have to tap me on the shoulder, go like, TP, this is important, please listen. And then I absolutely do. But otherwise, he will just go on and I enjoy the sound of his voice. And that's about it. Yeah, that's fair. Like, that's one way for you to get it, to get that to work. I think... For me, it's always a blessing if someone else has something that they're passionate about that they want to talk to me about. But that's mostly because I'm not that good at conversation. 
Anyways, I'm getting off topic. Um, to get back to the topic of what is autism, um, another well-known symptom is basically the hyper and hyposensitivity. So that's basically like um, either feeling sensory input like very strongly or not much at all. And the same person can have both um, and the same person can be either at different times. So maybe, for example, you're very sensitive to bright lights and to touch, but you don't really react to pain at all, for example. Or you don't have much of a sense of taste or anything similar. Um, and then there's things like... Uh, that are more like associated features that are not necessarily in the diagnostic criteria. I can't quite remember the diagnostic criteria off the top of my head, but there's things like you really like plants, you don't like plants being broken, having trouble with executive functioning and uh, all these types of things. And one thing that's important to know or remember about autism is that it is a spectrum. And people who are autistic can be very different and they can have very different needs for support in different areas. So, like, some autistic people uh, don't really speak at all. Others speak a lot, as we have established. <laughs> and um, some people have very bad sensory issues. Others don't really have that much. Um, some people can live on their own. Some people can. And just basically the experiences of the people on this spectrum are so different. Um, like, on any spectrum, such as the schizo spectrum, which I am on. Um, but it's just very important to remember that all of these people, at the end of the day, they're all autistic and they have that in common. And it's it just says something about the diversity of experience on a spectrum uh, disorder. Just to sort of get a little bit personal, um, TP, you were recently diagnosed with autism or like to be completely uh, <laughs> literal fox was diagnosed with autism, it all sort of happened over your head in a way, like Fox went to assessments and Fox was the one who got the diagnosis, but this, since this is a developmental disorder, it sort of doesn't make sense to think that you don't have it as well. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, uh, how does this affect your relationship with the label and like, what does it mean to you to now like be included in the people who are considered to be autistic and like, how do you feel about it? First things first, what I needed to kind of internalize, because this this seems like one of those profound truths that you just know, but the moment somebody says, hey, you are autistic, like you have a diagnosis on paper, you are autistic, I go like, oh, fancy new label. But at the same time, I kind of had to sit down and think like, no, I'm autistic. That means I have been autistic all my life. Technically, from my point of view, nothing changed. But at the same time, everything has changed with this label. Because first of all, this autism diagnosis, other than being in treatment for depression and anxiety, which I never have formally been diagnosed with, other than my GP giving me some pills against depression and anxiety, on paper, I have never been diagnosed with anything. And it kind of did bother me because I have my very low functioning periods. And I always felt like, well, I don't have the right to have these because technically there's nothing wrong with me. I do have all these issues, but 
from the world's point of view, I'm not entitled to my suffering. I'm not entitled to my problems because there is nothing wrong with me. There is no paper. There is no label that would be pinned to my forehead going like, oh yeah, there is just something wrong with you. And getting that diagnosis was absolutely a breakthrough for me in a sense of self-acceptance because suddenly there was that outside validation where somebody who is a professional, and I, I do tend to trust professionals, like it's a debate whether or not psychiatrists can be trusted. I do trust medical science. I do trust psychiatrists. And somebody whose job it is to assess me for this disorder said, yeah, yeah, it's pretty conclusive you do have this disorder. And my brain just exploded going, oh my God. Also, being someone who has obvious mental issues, being part of the community has kind of come to me very naturally. But at the same time, I always felt like I'm a phony because, again, I'm label-less. I'm self-diagnosed with like five different things, including DID, which is always a little bit of a long shot, so to say. And... And suddenly I actually have a paper and I belong. And that sense of belonging has been amazing. Um, I have also been surprised by getting the diagnosis because I heard rumors that it's unlikely, especially if you are an assigned female. As an adult assigned female, it's unlikely to receive a diagnosis of autism. So that was kind of a positive surprise. That it was autism that we ended up with, that was kind of not that much of a surprise because if you look at me, if you look at my symptoms, it kind of does add up. And while well, my relationship to the label, honestly, and this is a very cynical point of view, but I kind of feel like from what I have there could have been a bunch of different diagnoses, like diagnostic boxes they could have put me into. And having ended up in the autism box, that's lucky because compared to other disorders, compared to attention deficit disorder, schizospec disorders, autism is a surprisingly well-branded one. Like when you say I'm autistic, people go... Oh, hey, Rain Man, cute characters in movies, people with like quirky little lovable features in movies. Here is some help. Here is how we make your life easier. Well, if I go, I have ADHD, they will likely think, oh, the annoying trouble child. If I go, I have schizophrenia, people will go, oh, you're a serial killer. So in that sense, it's, it's kind of a lucky thing but at the same time while it's incredibly validating to have a name to my issues and have my issues recognized as something that's abnormal to the human experience i do like both uh, both fox and i talked about this how we feel kind of a hint of imposter syndrome about it like it's just like Oh yeah, I kind of self-diagnosed and I kind of self-identified with autism and now I have the formal diagnosis 
And did I just, like, trick my way into people believing that I have autism? Oh, yeah, I felt the exact same way when I got my ADHD diagnosis, so... Because in a sense, I wanted this diagnosis, and I wanted it badly, and so did Fox. And then we were just, like, looking at each other, kind of, metaphorically speaking, going, like, did we... Did did you just... Did you just... Did you just lie your way into this? And they were like, no, I didn't say anything that was untrue. I didn't omit anything that was relevant and true. And they just came up with this themselves. Yeah. And it was uh, kind of funny because the way it came up was that um, they... (laughs) Because we came in and we told them... We decided to be honest about the situation with Fox and TP and uh, dissociative symptoms. And... um, and their first reaction was, well, what if this whole um, other personality thing is a special interest? And then everybody <laughs> leant back and went, I'm sorry, what? Like, excuse me? <laughs> um, but then it was sort of a good thing in the sense that it led them to, the, to check whether Fox had autistic symptoms. And uh, as it turns out, and it was not really a surprise, they do. Um, there were also other reasons why they were thinking that Fox might be autistic from the get-go, but basically this was apparently one of the reasons, or like a supporting factor. Um, and at the end of the day, it went very well in the sense that uh, the diagnoses that Fox and TP ended up with were basically the diagnoses that we wanted them to end up with, that is like a dissociative disorder, and um yeah like you said uh, autism and uh like depression and anxiety caused by trauma the interesting thing uh before the assessment kat and i were sitting here and we were talking about okay what are the possible diagnostic boxes what are the likely ones they would go with and what are like, what was the best case scenario? Was the worst case scenario? And one of the things we, we were worried about is that they would uh, qualify me as a delusion of control. And that might easily land us in the schizophrenia box because the other thing that people are very unlikely to get diagnosed with is any sort of dissociative dis- disorder, but especially OSDD and DID are diagnoses that psychiatrists don't like to give. And in a sense, like we we got the diagnosis for unspecified, like generic dissociative disorder, but, but it's in, this, in the major category where DID or the equivalent of DID in that diagnostic system is a subcategory of this. And basically, that is the only one that makes sense. Um, for you in those in the ICD-10 because we live in Europe um, so you got F44-8 which is other dissociative disorders and basically this is like almost the closest you could get like there is a specification to that which is F44-81 multiple personality disorder and as I pointed out to Fox, it's actually a good thing that they didn't give you the one called multiple personality disorder because that way you will 
always be outed to people when you have to tell them your disorder. This way you can tell them, oh, I have dissociative disorder, and then you can decide how much you want to disclose um, based on that. So meanwhile, we know, like, especially the people that live with you, we know that you have a lot of symptoms that are in line with those of autistic people, but you actually don't have a formal diagnosis of autism. Uh, can you tell us about these uh, symptoms and how they affect your daily life? Um, well, yes, <laughs> I can. Um, I kind of want to start at the beginning by saying that growing up, I think my, ex especially in my experience of growing up was similar to a lot of people with autism because I grew up... Um, very much as the stereotypical difficult and different child uh, that is to say i was like considered um outside the norm i didn't know how to fit the social rules of a school system um i didn't know how to interact with peers and this got me a lot of um bullying and and exclusion basically um at the same time, at home, I was, I was also kind of the classic, quiet, scared in school, uh, extremely talkative at home about the things that interested me. So my, yeah, and then I was loud and wild, which is probably more of an ADHD thing, possibly. But also, I was, like, I was very bad with sensory things, like I. When people had to brush my teeth or cut my nails, they had to basically like physically hold me down and do it or like wash my hair and these things. Um, so there were a lot of things there and I was considered by other kids' parents to be the like badly behaved and badly raised in a sense because they didn't really realize that these were probably also somewhat inherent to me issues. Um, then I grew up <laughs> and I still have a lot of um, experiences and behaviors that are similar to, uh, to autistic people. Um, like, for example, I, uh, I have a very hard time sitting still and I often find myself rocking back and forth or um, moving my feet or all this like and I do this very much like in a self-soothing manner and um, and I have a lot of sensory issues for example I really want to pet people like on their back for example when they're feeling sad but I can't actually do it because the feeling of cloth being moved under my hand is disgusting and impossible <laughs> um, and, and these types of things and I'm, I'm very sensitive to light and so on social issues I already mentioned I would say that I've to a grand extent I have grown out of a lot of my social issues but this is not a completely uncommon experience for autistic people either like a lot of people learn how to live with their deficits or like difficulties um, I have or at least back before um, possibly this is a little bit sad but before negative symptoms got the better of me <laughs> I had a lot of special interests and like I would get completely absorbed in a show or 
a series and I would read all read all the fan fiction about it and write fan fiction about it and as a child I would make up these stories in my mind about like for example Lion King and yeah so yeah <laughs> what are you laughing about <laughs> it's true all, the, all these stories about people dying horribly <laughs> that's also true that those were the types of stories I would make I um <laughs> I remember in kindergarten, I uh, <laughs> I had this specific like um, the Lion King came out at the, around the time where I was a young child, and I saw it, and I think it was, and it was like a transformative experience to me, and it was I guess you could say it was my first special interest. Later, it was still it was Silverfang, it would become Silverfang, and Silverfang lasted for a long while. I started watching those movies when I was. Uh, nine maybe and it lasted at least like including being on Fora and painstakingly downloading the original Japanese uh, anime um, and drawing on uh, oikakis that were dedicated to it etc until I was maybe uh, 16, 17 so that was like a pretty long lasting one um, and my most recent one was actually not that long ago. I hope so. That gives me hope that I can still find new ones. That was uh, Star Trek: The Original Series. Yeah. So is it actually common for people on uh, different schizophrenic disorders to have similar symptoms to autism? Um. Yes, it's common. I would not say it's not true for everyone, but it is very common. In my case, I mean, in my case, you would, the looking at it from the outside is complicated a little bit by the fact that I'm also diagnosed with ADHD, which is well known to be sort of a cousin disorder to autism, as in they share a lot of symptoms. Um, however, in my opinion, it's a little bit random that I was diagnosed with ADHD before I was diagnosed with schizophrenia. It's basically because my schizophrenia diagnosis was delayed by me basically lying to the doctors. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it is uh, very, it's super common. There's a lot of overlap. Basically, um, the thing you have to understand is that the diagnostic system as we know it is made up by humans and it does not necessarily reflect real disorders in the sense that it's not inherently um, valid in that sense. Of course, it's valid is a loaded term because people use it to say, oh, you're so valid, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is like, it's not necessarily scientifically valid. Um, it's a system that is based on segregation and very narrow definitions, but in real life there's a lot of overlap between disorders and a lot of differences within disorders. Um, and that's very important to understand, to understand anything about mental illness and how it works. Um, but yeah, but basically like historically speaking, you could say that, uh, there's a lot of overlap between autism and schizophrenia. Like, uh, it used to be that there was no such diagnosis as autism and it was basically considered to be a form of childhood onset schizophrenia and then in the 40s um, both 
the terms autism and uh, Asperger's were coined. Um, but you sort of continue to see hints of this connection in the sense that like autistic thinking and things like this were considered symptoms of uh, schizophrenia for a long time, so which was sort of when you pull into yourself and all these types of things that we now consider probably negative symptoms. Um, but yeah, they're similar in a lot of ways. Uh, both are considered now to be neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, and there's the uh, a great overlap in like that people on the schizophrenia spectrum, especially people with schizophrenia and uh, schizotypal people have uh, cognitive and social cognitive deficits that are similar to uh, ADHD and autism. And um, it's, I think everyone, when they think of a quote unquote crazy person, they often imagine someone who's sitting and rocking back and forth. And I think that that's, um, that's sort of telling of the fact that while the term stimming to some is specific to autism, the act of doing it is certainly not specific to autism and is in fact like quite common in, uh, in people who are considered uh, quote-unquote crazy. Um, <laughs> and uh, sensory sensitivities, etc. are also very common in uh, schizospec people. Um, so, yeah, uh, and, and, at, and the other way around, it seems that in the doctor community, at least in my country and some countries of people I've talked to, there's this idea that, like, autistic people are sometimes a little psychotic and that's okay and we don't really have to diagnose that as something else. So it also sort of goes the other way. Um, and a lot of the time they uh, rule out, um, like, if you were formally... For example, Catton, who appeared uh, on a previous episode, was formally diagnosed with autism, and then when they uh, diagnosed her with schizophrenia, they just sort of cut away her uh, autism diagnosis. And this very this is very common um, for them to do, because there's so much overlap, so it doesn't necessarily make sense to have both diagnoses. Um, but yeah. Uh, just to get back to you, TP, um, earlier you said that you had realized even before the assessment and the result of the assessment that you could be, um, on the autism spectrum. Um, how did that, like, come about? When did you start to, to think that that might be the case? The weird thing is, okay, so one thing you need to understand is that... I grew up in Eastern Europe and where I come from and from the social uh, environment where I come from, autism was not really a thing. I mean, now looking back, I realize that I have been surrounded by neuroatypical people of all sorts my whole life because I grew up in an art community and people tend to gravitate into like arts and sciences like certain fields when they are atypically developed. But it was not talked about. It was not known of. And weirdly enough, how I learned about autism as a thing 
was actually through one of my special interests because one of my lasting special interests is Scandinavia. I, as a little child, I decided that I loved Scandinavia. I wanted to live there. I wanted to speak all the Scandinavian languages. And this just kept being the case up until the point where I actually graduated high school. I started university. I learned Swedish. I wanted to move to Sweden. That never happened. But I did end up in Scandinavia after a while. And here I started a different education. And on the first introduction day, there was one of my classmates, a female classmate, who stood up and we all had to present ourselves in some way. And she talked about her having Asperger's syndrome. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And she was like, oh yeah, that's a... considered to be a mild form of autism. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then I kind of just stored that information and went on with my life. And ages later, uh, we met Moose. And Moose was like, oh yeah, by the way, I have Asperger's syndrome. And at that point, because of our interest in Moose, uh, both Fox and I started researching autism in a little bit deeper. And I just kind of noticed how a lot of the things that are being said about autistic people, I I have those things. But I just thought, like, first of all, people, people normalize their experience. So to me, it was just the way I experienced the word that must be everyone. And you don't talk about it, so you don't notice that other people are not like you, especially if you are a relatively socially well-developed person, you you can get away with a lot of things without people actually pointing it out to you. And that was very much the case with me. I actually was the opposite of you. I was a, I was a socially successful child and I kind of grew into my autistic works. Like with age, I'm actually regressing, kind of. But as a child, I was fairly popular. I had, I had little clue of whether or not I was uh, embarrassing or I was doing something socially wrong. Like I, I committed some social faux pas, which gave me great confidence because I was just going about being me and people found that cute and quirky. And I was like a talkative child. I was a bright child. So people were just like, oh yeah, what a cute little girl. And that's kind of also pulled me away from being even considered for something like autism. And then as I grew up and a lot of my symptoms became more obvious, I kind of started suspecting that something might be in the wrong. And then I did some self-testing and I ended up checking like 98 out of 100 (laughs) boxes in the questionnaire. And I was just like, maybe something is wrong. And then I realized that, oh yeah, my dad is kind of the poster boy of undiagnosed Asperger's. And I was just like, "Mm, yeah, that's a genetic thing. So like maybe something, but it was too convenient. Like it, it made too much sense. So I was just like, no, clearly that's not the case. And then one day I'm just sitting at my therapist and she goes, oh yeah, by the way, I noticed that you literally always move. You never stop moving. And I'm wondering if you 
like you also don't make eye contact with me you you speak kind of weird you you make these like tangents and so i wonder if you might have like adhd and i was like i would be very very surprised if it turned out that i have adhd because while i do have a lot of symptoms of adhd one thing i do not have is attention deficit never had it i'm actually a very focused person. I'm very good at thinking things through internally. Like all the cognitive symptoms of ADHD or ADD I'm lacking. And then she was like, okay, then you might be autistic. And that was actually the push that led to Fox going to the psychiatry, getting assessed and us getting the diagnosis. Yeah. And uh, I was actually in that conversation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Basically, she was like, yeah, so I have this clock on my table. You're one of very few patients I've ever had complaining about the ticking of the tiny clock. It's an insanely table. loud clock. And And I <laughs> completely agree. I was sitting in that room and she said those words and I was like, Either either your patients are too polite not to say anything or something is up. <laughs> yeah, that's an insanely loud clock. Yeah. I'm just saying. It is very loud. It's like... Yeah. I don't know if you could even hear that on the recording, but it was very, it was very <laughs> loud, I promise. Um, so, TP, what would you say... In your experience, because now you told us that it sort of became more obvious as you became older. And um, what parts of your experience are sort of changed by... Uh, what what do you perceive as behaviors that are sort of linked to your autism diagnosis or like experiences? Um, what difficulties do you have in your everyday life because of the symptoms? Like, can you can you tell us a little bit about this? Okay, so the way I am autistic. <laughs> um, well, first of all, as as I grew older, the cute quirkiness of my childhood self kind of developed into full-blown awkwardness. And also my tolerance for social situations has plummeted. I currently, as of today, I'm unable to spend a longer time period along, uh, among other people if I... Today we were at a birthday party for my niece and we had to spend approximately three hours at this party and I realized that every 10-15 minutes I had to stand up, walk out of the room and just spend one to five minutes alone somewhere because I physically couldn't handle being around people for that long. That being said, it was also an incredibly loud party. Like, I had physical pain from the noise level. And it was just, what, 15 people in a room talking. It wasn't, like, loud music or anything, but just the yeah. level of noise 15 people talking at the same time makes causes me physical pain. Which this reminds me, actually, of uh, something I talked to Fox about, sort of linking back to your childhood, that, like they used to feel so um like they didn't really like other children because they were loud and unpredictable and yeah 
and they were wild and they were violent. And yeah, we, we used to be a very isolated child and we used to be a kind of not lonely child, but while we were socially successful, we always preferred solitary activities because we liked quiet, nice, structured fun. Our, our favorite childhood game was collecting little colorful items of any kind and making mandalas on the floor out of them. And we would just do that hours on an end because it was entertaining to play with small colorful things and make pretty things out of them. And at the same time, playing with another child was always a trauma of its own because they they would touch you, they would yell, they would shriek, they would like run around and I just did not have that level of energy ever. Um, other than that, yeah, I stim. I <laughs> manically stim. As, uh, as my therapist pointed out, I move constantly. Like I, ever since she said that, I'm very angry that she said that because she made me aware of this fact and now I can't become unaware again. So now I'm just aware of me constantly moving and now it annoys me. <laughs> um, I do have the social difficulties in sense I have a terrible time making eye contact. I can force myself to shake hands, but I really don't like it. I can't handle people touching me or reaching towards me. I go into an absolute panicking freak if somebody just reaches towards me unexpectedly. Moose is often guilty of this, like, pretty much on a daily basis. He has me scream and sometimes full-blown meltdown and cry because he just, like, touches me from behind or something. Yeah. He's not he's not the most tactful of guys. To be fair, like, I would imagine that this is a combination of... Um, trauma and... Trauma and, yeah. and, like, sensory issues. Um, I have been accused of some level of rigid thinking, especially when it comes to plans. I love plans. I love structure. I hate when plans are changed. And in my experience, nobody ever keeps a plan. And I'm permanently upset with everybody over this. I have a lot of uh, sensory hypersensitivities, uh, especially with touch and noise. I recently realized that I function way better if I wear something that cuts off the noise of the outside world. If I have to go shopping, for example, most of the time I just wear noise-canceling headphones and I just play sea noises at me while I'm in the shopping center so I can actually keep my focus because otherwise all that amount of noise and the background music and people talking around me and uh, various being loaded and all that, all the regular everyday noises that happen in the store, those are too much to handle. Um, sometimes I have like migraines and light sensitivity because of sensory overload. Sometimes it just completely shut down. Um, other than that, I... How it affects my life, first of all, I get mentally exhausted way faster than other people. I need to take breaks from socializing, I need to take breaks from uh, from like any kind of activity, except for the ones I do alone, because if I do something alone, I zone in. I'm just not there, and sometimes, like it's 
a really good and really bad thing because yeah, when you have a deadline in 24 hours, I'm capable of sitting and working with 100% performance for 24 hours without ever stopping to eat, pee, sleep, whatever people do. But at the same time, that's also not healthy. And that's actually something that I had to unlearn because that was one of my primary ways of work. I just work in bursts of intense functionality and then collapse entirely. I have a very fluctuating functioning level in that sense. Also, one of the things I haven't mentioned is emotions. I have always had a problem both experiencing my emotions, relating to them, understanding them, and expressing them. So I am somewhat of an emotional potato, and it has happened on multiple accounts. If I feel a lot of emotions, let it be positive or negative emotions, that gets me physically ill. Um, Which sounds ridiculous, but it does happen. Like, I go down with a proper, like, fever and stuff if I felt too many things. Yeah. And um, this could definitely also be, like, a semi-dissociative thing, I yeah. say. Yeah. Probably. And one of the things that I, again, it's connected to something, but, like, that's, that's uh, what you previously talked about. That's something that people have to understand about these disorders that I have three or four different diagnoses, but all of those overlap in me and all of those define my working as a human being. Exactly. And I can't quite differentiate between dissociative symptoms, autism symptoms, trauma-related stuff, because that's just who I am and that's just how I work. that makes complete sense. Um, So in that sense... From whatever source, I also have selective mutism. If I get overloaded, sometimes I can't, and sometimes I choose not to speak for extended periods of time. Because talking, you probably don't notice this because I'm literally sitting here doing a podcast, but talking is very hard work. And sometimes I just do not have the kind of cognitive functioning or energy to actually do words. And in these cases, I communicate with my family through hand motions and sometimes text messaging. But stress, especially prolonged, intense stress, makes me unable to speak. Yeah. Okay. um, So we've talked a little bit about uh, Moose and how Moose um, is also autistic. In the same way that if I look at my friends from um, public school, and when I say my friends from public school, I don't know why I say that, because I didn't meet them in school, I didn't really have friends in school. Um, These were more like neighborhood kids. But those of us who stuck together uh, later turned out to be either queer or mentally ill or both. (laughs) And I think that that's very telling. That, like... Even before you know necessarily these things about yourself or have the labels for it. So it's not like a thing that you seek each other out because you know that that person will be similar to you based on some label. But there's something like inherent in them that is attractive to you as a person. Yeah. Mm. 
And I think that that's actually like uh, similar for mentally ill people as well as for queer people and possibly other... We have like a Kradar, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, like shared experience is one of the primary ways how people bond. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to throw out there, because recently, actually, I came across a brilliant Tumblr post that reminded me of this thing, is the question of functionality, because that's one of the things that has been troubling me a lot. And I think it's a very common experience for um, actually any, like any person with a disability of any kind is we don't have clear-cut, well-defined levels of functionality. And everybody has good days and bad days. And in some cases, these can be kind of in the extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, I am in the lucky position that on my good days, I can actually pass as like a legitimately functional human being. I actually have been working several jobs before where I had to go into an office and perform there and I was capable of doing that. I was capable of finishing an education without ever taking uh, much of an aid for my disability. So when I'm when I'm on my highest level of functioning, I'm actually a really highly functional person. But the next day I can't get out of bed and I can't talk and Yesterday morning, I spent half an hour whining and screaming because the smallest noise was painful and the sun was shining halfway into the house and that was unbearable. And I love getting pets from my loved ones, but their touch, like their skin rubbing against my skin hurts so much that I just pull away after two seconds. And the thing is, One of the things that ail me, and my therapist pointed this out, and many people pointed this out, is I'm good at showing my good side on the outside, which means in a lot of the cases I feel like my legitimate issues have not been recognized or like they they haven't been recognized and they kind of have been dismissed by professionals and by other people because I'm unable to show weakness. And they're just like, yeah, you talk about your trauma, but you show no emotion. You you say the words, I hear the words you say, but there is no sadness there. There is no fear there. There is no reliving of the bad experience. The same way you talk about not being able to get up, but like you're here, you're perfectly fine. Like I'm looking at you and you look, perfectly fine and I think that's that's a curse for many so to say high functioning people I'm doing air quotes nobody can see um but yeah the problem is when you are in the high functioning box people expect you to be consistently on that level and if you are on the other hand if you're in the low functioning box people also expect you to consistently just be uh, completely disabled. Most of the people experience very high and very low functioning 
periods, sometimes hours, sometimes days, sometimes years. And this is one of the aspects of any kind of uh, any kind of mental disorder and any kind of chronic illness that I find important for people to realize and that should be addressed more in public for a like when we say a spectrum disorder, it's sort of a lot of people think of a spectrum from A to B and it's like a straight line and you move from A to B, basically. And A is more functioning, B is less functioning or whatever. And I think you have to think of it more as like a spectrum of light or like a spectrum or like a fucking circle, a Venn diagram. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a visual person. You're the graphic designer. Tell me. <laughs> yeah. I think what you're trying to say is that it's basically people think about it as a linear progression from point A to point B, where point A represents a low end and point B represents a high end. And it's, it's a two-dimensional spe- uh, spectrum where you can kind of, like a slider, you can kind of slide between point A yeah, and point yeah. B and that's it. And in actual reality, it's more like a three-dimensional sphere where there are there is this entire plethora of the human experience. Yeah, and, and, and one person, even if if we imagine, this is one way to look at it, that all symptoms are rated from A to B in a linear progression, then even within one person, they will have a variety of symptoms and they will not be placed at the same place on every linear progression of functionality, if that's how we're looking at it. And that's why it doesn't, it's very hard to speak of. And like, if you're, for example, looking at the psychosis spectrum, then for example, if you look at people will classically think, okay, someone with schizotypal, they must be less disabled than someone with schizophrenia. This is not the case. This depends entirely on what symptoms they have and how these symptoms affect them. So someone with uh, schizophrenia might have certainly more severe psychotic symptoms than someone with schizotypal that sort of is in the description in a sense but uh the person with schizotypal may have a way harder time uh having a life that makes sense um they may be so disorganized or so cognitively disabled that they can't really uh live on their own whereas the person with schizophrenia possibly just had a lot of psychotic symptoms so in that way the spectrum even between disorders and even within disorders it's not really logical to think of it as a linear progression of just one person being placed somewhere on a linear progression. That's not how it works. Also, how do you decide? I I often think about this, like how do you decide which one is more functional? Look at Moose and I. Moose, if you look at him, he might be perceived as lower functioning at his best than I am at my best. At the same time, Moose is consistent in his functionality. He is like an engine. He goes on and on and on and on and on and he literally never breaks. He does fluctuate a little bit between good phases and bad phases, but honestly not a lot. And he can handle the amount he can handle forever. Meanwhile, at my best, I am pretty fucking good and at my worst I'm absolutely non-functional and I fluctuate very very heavily between these two 
who is higher functioning? Yeah. Is the guy who is consistently medium or is the guy who is zero hundred, zero hundred, zero hundred, and yeah. any very in between? Yeah. Yeah. Um, these are all very important questions. I think we have to wrap up tonight. Um, we've been speaking for a while. We will, uh, by the way, just so you don't feel like we are cheating you out of anything, we are actually planning to make multiple talks with actually multiple autistic people about this subject and further questions and their experiences. So all the things we didn't get around to addressing tonight, they will be coming up. And once again, if you have any specific questions, if you have any comments, if you would like to share your own experience with us, please do. We have an email that's pettingzoopodcast at gmail.com. And we also have our Tumblr blog, Welcome to the Petting Zoo with all dashes between the words .tumblr.com. You are also very welcome to send us an ask anonymously or publicly. And we are getting back to everybody. And please be part of our discussion. We would like this to be a public forum. We would like to hear from you. We would like to learn about other people's experiences. So please, please just get in touch. Make us happy. <laughs> and thank you. It's so amazing that you guys are actually interacting with us. We love it. We are like totally seeking your attention. So please validate us. <laughs> <laughs> it is a petting zoo after all. Yeah. You can't just go to a petting zoo and only look at the animals. You kind of have to pet them. Yeah. Please pet us. That Pl please came don't. out wrong. <laughs> yeah. Pl please don't ever pet us. We, we don't like to be touched. Yeah. <laughs> but please talk to us. We like talking. <laughs> Thumbs up. Yeah, thank you for joining us tonight. This was TP and Kat talking about autism. And, well, goodbye from the petting suit. Bye-bye.